who declare that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is the highest walk of faith that there is. Because you are not living by what you see in yourself. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, I want you to do something as the Lord leads you this week. I want you to put those words in your mouth every day, over and over and over throughout the day. Now, I'm not going to give you some magic number, but what do you suppose would happen if you said, I don't know, over the next week, 10,000 times, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And it sounds, man, that, that sounds kind of hard to do. I might just have to sit there and say it for a while. Well, number one, that won't hurt you. <laughs> but number two, if you will replace what you have been saying with that instead, you'll find, man, I could hit 10,000 by the end of the day. <laughs> because we've been doing a lot of empty talk. Now, I've become accustomed to this, as many of you have, in your life when something's not right, uh, something hurts, you're in pain. You, we've been taught, and I, I hope you're doing this, that you confess the Word of God over that, and you confess your healing, or, or when you're coming up short financially, you confess abundance, and those things are good. I want some mind renewal in us this week. So just for a few days, will you do this for me? Before you release that great confession of healing... Do this instead. Pain shows up. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That is your confession of healing this week. Amen? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That is your confession of abundance and prosperity this week. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's your confession of joy. That's your confession of strength. That's your confession of restoration over your marriage and your family. That's your confession over anything in your life, especially anything that looks like it's wrong or out of place. What's your confession over that thing? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It'll help to renew your mind. I'm healed because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm prosperous in every area because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. This is what's right with me. Amen. So what does it mean to be righteous? Let's talk just for a few minutes about that. You see it here in the Amplified Translation again. To be made acceptable to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with Him. To be righteous is to have right standing with God. Another way to say that is to be in right relationship with God. Now this is the best news you've heard all day. That you can have a friendship and a fellowship and a relationship with God. Now, how did that happen? Did you notice in these verses we are reading here in 2 Corinthians 5, how many times we heard the word reconciled, that God was in Christ reconciling us to him? You also see it in the book of Romans chapter 5. Don't turn there. We'll put it on the screen. Verse 10 says, for when we were enemies. Did you know that? We used to be enemies with God. When we were enemies 
We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. This is three times in just a couple of verses, not to mention the number of times he said it in 2 Corinthians 5. It is a major theme throughout the New Testament, this reconciliation. We've been reconciled. We've been reconciled. What does this word mean? Well, it's an interesting word because it's got two main uses. Or I could say it like this. It gets used in two very different and distinct arenas. One, the word reconciled is used in a financial sense. Have you noticed that before? Where you've got, say you've got in a company, you've got a ledger of receipts or you've got a ledger of expenditures and somebody's making notes on that ledger and they get to the end and they've got a total and this is what I'm supposed to have in the account. But then they go to the bank and the account balance they have is something different. Have you ever experienced this before? I don't know if anybody does this anymore, but does anybody remember checks? <laughs> used to write checks. Who still writes checks every now and then? I still write a few checks, mostly to church. Uh, but used to, and they taught us to do this in high school. Do you remember when you would go to the back of that checkbook and you'd write, you'd have to write by hand. Do you remember how long it took at the grocery store when you got behind somebody who was writing a check? Oh, dear Lord, they're writing a check. So not only they're writing the check, they've got to go back to that ledger and write down exactly what they spent, exactly where it went, and then they get that new total. And, and they taught us in school, I'm sure some of you did this too, you go through the week or even the whole month, and then you add up everything that's in the back of the checkbook that says, okay, you've got this much money in the bank. But then when you check the actual bank account, if they're off, what needs to be happening here? What, what, what do you need to do? You need to reconcile these accounts. Why? Something's off. There's distance between this number and that number. Something's off. Somewhere a mistake has been made. And guess whose fault it was like 9.9 .9 times out of 10? The guy who was writing down numbers in the back of these, he's like, is that a six or a G? What am I doing here? You can't figure. Mistakes have been made, and because of that, you've got discrepancies in the account. One says one thing. The other says another. They need to be reconciled. What in the world does that have to do with us and God? Well, the other main place that the word reconciled is used is in relationship. It's used over here in this financial arena, but it's also used in the arena of relationships. When something's off, when a mistake's been made by somebody, and it creates distance. Can you see the similarities here? Something's not the same that should be. Something's off, and because it's off, there's space, there's distance. And what happened between God and man, there was space that got put between us. And we're not talking about a space or a difference of a few dollars. We are talking about a breach so wide, so cavernous, that it seemed impossible that that could ever be mended. There was so much space and so much distance between us and him that we had lost all friendship, we had lost all fellowship. 
Now, it breaks our heart to think about it, but God created man in the first place for this one reason, friendship, fellowship. And the man he created to fellowship with went on and opened the door to sin, and with sin came death. Now, we started to mention something last week, and I think I didn't quite get to it, but our understanding of death hasn't been the same as God's. Because God told Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of this fruit, what's going to happen? You shall surely die. Now, our concept, naturally speaking, of death is cessation, right? When we think of death, we think there used to be a beating heart, and now it stopped. There used to be a flow of blood, now it's dried up. There used to be life and animation, but because of death, that, that body falls lifeless to the ground. That's death. The only problem is, Adam and Eve didn't fall lifeless to the ground the day they ate the fruit. They, their heart didn't stop beating. So did they die? Well, God said, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there must be some difference between a natural understanding of death and a spiritual understanding of death. Death in the natural is cessation. Death in the spiritual is separation. Are you following me? Is this okay? Death in the natural is cessation. The body stops and falls to the ground. That's not what happens in the spirit. Now, I don't know what all hit Adam and Eve in the moment where they sinned. And I don't know what maybe hit them like a ton of bricks later. But what occurred was not the cessation of a beating heart. It was the separation that caused a broken heart. And that is death. Separation is death. And we even know this to a certain extent in the natural. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 15, you have to abide in me just like the branch abides in the vine because the branch can't produce anything of itself. What is he saying? The moment you snap off a branch from the vine, how much life does that vine have to produce anything? None. Why? Because now there's separation. They got to stay connected. Death is separation. Now, this is what's such good news. And this is why I'm so excited today to tell you what's right with you. That friendship, that fellowship has been restored. We have been reconciled. The word itself literally means uh, reconciliation. It means to restore friendship to restore fellowship or harmony. It means to settle or resolve differences. We had some major differences between us and God. And it created some major space between us. But you want to know what he did? He went ahead and reconciled us to him. Not him to us. Us to him. Just like those two accounts. You've got one that says one thing and another that says something else. Well, one has to be reconciled to the other. But God 
reconciled us to him. In other words, he brought us up. Our account was very lacking. Our account was deathly low. You know what he did? In Jesus, he brought us up. And he reconciled us and restored to us that fellowship, that friendship. It's like God was looking at us and saying, you want to be friends again? Can we be friends? You know exactly what I'm talking about. I bet you everybody in here can think of somebody you used to be close to. And for whatever reason, there's space between you now. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to go through periods of time because of disagreement or strife or being at odds with each other. You know what it's like to sit five feet away from somebody and feel like you're on the other side of the planet. You know what that's like. We've all been through that. To be close physically, but in your heart. To be somewhere else entirely. That distance. And God was not good with the distance. He wanted to be friends again. Isn't that sweet? Can we be friends again? I'm sorry, you have to bear with me. I just feel like I've been on the verge of just tears all for the last, I don't know, 24 hours about this. It's my father. He finally came and said, I miss you. I miss talking. And I miss hearing from you. This is what he said to man. I miss you. I want to be friends again. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll reconcile you to me. And instead of holding anything against you, I'm going to let it go. So here's what I'm going to do. I've got my one and only son. And I'm going to offer him up as the payment, the difference between our ledgers. And what that payment will do will bring you up and we'll be good again. And we can fellowship like we did back in the garden with nothing between us. Can we be friends again? Can you hear him saying that to you this morning? Can we be friends? What's your answer in, if and when God Almighty looks at you and says, can we be friends? What do you say? Yes, yes, and yes, please. This is righteousness. It's friendship with him. It's relationship restored. So this is so basic, church, but things that we've got to go over. Don't turn there, but listen to this out of the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It's talking to us about how. How do we go about being friends with God? He, he talks about the elementary principles of Christ. You know what we're going over right now? This is as basic as it gets. If we don't have this foundation, nothing else works. What foundation? I am, say it with me, the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay? Well, how? How did you become that way? Well, like last week, we said we were reborn this way. 
when you accepted Jesus into your life and you became a new creation, old things passed away, all things became new, you were reborn righteous. Here you see further how we became this way. He talks about the elementary principles of Christ. He talks about going on from that. But look, he says in this verse that he talks about the foundation. Go, go to the next part of this verse for me. The foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. These are the basics right here. A friendship with God can be had, can be restored, you can be reconciled through these two things right here. Let me kind of work them backwards for you. It takes faith. It takes faith. We already know that we're not made righteous by our own works, but made righteous by faith. Again, don't turn there, but the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 9, talking about Abraham, he says, This blessedness, does it come on the circumcised only or on the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Now, uh, he goes on and says in verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed. See, God's not holding sin against us. He's holding righteousness to us. It was not written for his sake alone that righteousness was imputed to him, but also for us. It, what it, righteousness, shall be imputed to us who believe. This is how we enter into this right friendship and relationship with God. It's not through our works. It's not through checking off a bunch of items on a list. It's through faith. Through faith. And the Bible says about this man Abraham in James chapter 2, verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Can you see there the connection between righteousness and friendship with God? But let me just touch on this in the last couple of minutes that we have. That verse in Hebrews chapter 6 talked about the foundational principles, the elementary principles of Christ. Faith is a foundational principle in our friendship and relationship with God. There is no friendship, there is no fellowship with God apart from faith. Why? Because you can't see Him. You can't see Him, you can't touch Him, you can't feel Him, you can't contact Him with your head or with your five physical senses. It requires faith. You don't trust God with your brain, you trust Him with your heart. It requires faith. And guess what? He loves that. As a matter of fact, the more faith it requires of you, the happier He is with it. Because without faith... It's impossible to please him. That's why Abraham is our example. That's why the Spirit of God had to go all the way back in time to when there was a friendship that man had with God and there was no law between them. There was no righteous requirement of a law between them. All there was between that man and God was that man's faith in God and God's love for him. That was it. That was the only thing between them. And that's why the Spirit of God says to us, do it like that. Abraham, here's a good example. He believed God and because of that, he was friends with God. You want to be friends with God? 
Believe him. Take him at his word. Don't live by what you see. Don't live by what you feel. Live by what you believe, and you can be besties with God. You guys can have a solid friendship. This is foundational. It does not get more foundational than this. But faith is not the only thing he mentioned. What else did he say? Repentance from dead works. Repentance. In the book of Acts, I want you to look at a verse with me. I got a lot of scripture for you, so just if you want to, close your Bible and just listen. We'll put them on the screen. But the Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter 3, let me paint the picture here. Peter and John were going up to the temple about the ninth hour to pray. And there was a man that had been laid there who was lame from his mother's womb. And he's begging alms from them. You know the story. Peter looked at him and said, I left my wallet at home. Silver and gold, I don't have any on me right now. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. He reached down, took that dude by his hand, jerked him up. Immediately, the Bible says, his feet and ankle bones received strength. He went walking and leaping and praising God. And it draws a crowd of people because he's been laying there for like the last 40 years. And everybody starts coming up to see what's going on. And the Spirit of God hit Peter. And he began to preach. And he began to preach with boldness and with confidence. And he starts preaching about Jesus. He said, y'all know Jesus, don't you? He's the one you crucified. It takes some boldness to talk like this. Now I'm going to save this for another week. But the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Here's a man made right with God. And out of this righteous man comes this fiery, bold message. And he starts telling them about Jesus, whom they crucified, who God raised again. And I want you to see what he said in the middle of this bold message he's preaching. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he shouts out, repent. Come on, it takes some boldness to tell a big crowd of people, y'all need to repent. He said, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. So God won't hold your sins against you. How did that happen? God not holding your sins against you happened when you repented. It's hard to be friends with somebody who won't let stuff go. Is it not? It's hard to be friends with somebody who keeps bringing junk up. It is difficult to build a thriving friendship and fellowship with somebody who's always like, remember that thing you did 12 years ago? Well, no, I'd kind of forgotten until you brought it up. It's impossible to build a friendship with somebody who won't let stuff go. This is why God is not imputing your sin and my sin against us, holding it against us. He wants friendship, but it doesn't just happen. There's a requirement. We've already talked about the faith requirement. What's this other one? Repent. Repentance is required. Why? Because repentance restores relationships. Repentance restores relationship. And that's what Peter shouted out. Repent. 
Why? So you can be converted. You know what converted is, right? Changed. Does that sound like any man who's in Christ is a new creation? Was there some conversion that took place? What is a convertible? It's a car that changes. <laughs> it's one car one minute, and then you put the top down, and now it's not something else. Why? It was converted. It's a change that took place. And Peter said, if you want change, if you want your sins to be not just covered, washed away, blotted out, it starts with repentance. If repentance wasn't required, then everybody would be saved. Then what Jesus did would come on everybody apart from their faith. And I know sometimes we wish God had done it that way. But faith is required, which means repentance is required. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.